The Pacific Islands are crying out for meaningful action and lots of money at the climate change conference in Egypt. Developing countries have finally managed to get loss and damage onto the agenda at the talks. It's been long opposed by the few that got rich of fossil fuels. But the real outcome will be the agreement on a framework for developed countries to commit to trillions of dollars of climate funding and transparency to make sure those countries actually give as much as they promise. Fiji's Special Advisor on Climate Change and Loss and Damage, Daniel Lund, spoke to me from Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Whenever we're, we're in these uh, multilateral processes, there is always a huge amount of uncertainty as to how tech will evolve and, and where we'll get to. But um, the main um, exercise is, is, is essentially moving towards uh, the, the objectives that we, we want to achieve. And um, even with vague um, uh, texts and uncertainty, um, there is there is the sort of public opinion and there is the, the sort of drive to, to uh, achieve um, the outcomes we want. Were there any developments overnight? Yeah, so you would have seen that um, we have an agenda point on loss and damage, which is um, really the, the big stir, which is um, um, uh, defining really a lot of the uh, energy in the negotiations currently. Um, this has been 30 years in the making and um, an important uh, step really towards um, looking at responsibility and the equity we need to achieve um, under the Paris Agreement Um and, uh, you know, really kind of a, a turning point for really maturing the way that um, financing uh, addresses the, the needs of developing countries. You've said it's been a long time in the making, this loss and damage uh, compensation. Why is it so slow and why is there so much resistance? Well, I mean, I think the... Uh, the way that the Paris Agreement has come together has always been through, um, uh, you know, moving people in 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 uh, with with very different circumstances into a similar direction. Um, the Paris Agreement was formed under the um, you know the 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 goal around limiting global average temperature rise. Uh, loss and damage has always been um, part of the picture because there's always been the uh, the impacts that are being felt as well as the impacts that that lie in the future. Um, but I don't think the loss and damage agenda point is, has, um, you know, come to come to light overnight. It's it's been a long time in the making, and it's it's really a result of um, you know quite a few failures. Uh, developing countries have failed to deliver a hundred billion dollars a year by 2020, which is uh, pivotal for um, adaptation financing. And we are well off the mark for achieving the 1.5 degree target, which is uh, really a red line for the safety and survival of Pacific countries. So the world's missed that $100 billion climate change fund target, which was for 2020. There's talk now that the fund needs to be $750 billion. I mean, do you agree with that? And will we get there? I mean, I think $750 billion as, as, a, as a, a target for mobilizing finance for the, uh, the climate crisis that we are facing at the moment is, is probably a lowball estimate. Um, if we look at where the funding is going in the in the world, despite the Paris Agreement, there's still five point nine trillion dollars spent on fossil fuel subsidies in 2020. Uh, that's nearly seven percent of global GDP, and current expectations are that they will rise. So everything's moving in in really the wrong direction in that sense. And the money's certainly there. You know, seven hundred fifty billion dollars is 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 a is a big jump in the kind of way that climate finance has flowed in 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 the past, but. We're seeing the impacts of, of, you know, that kind of hesitancy to to really embrace 
the crisis that everyone's feeling. So um, I, I, I think that's, that, that number is, if anything, more. What should accountability look like then for the missed climate and financed, uh, finance pledges? Well, while we are discussing loss and damage, and and you know we're, we're pleased that that space has occurred, you know it's it's on the agenda, um, but you know it doesn't necessarily mean that we achieve um, you know, what we're trying to uh, here in 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 Sharm El Sheikh. But we very much hope so. But even with you know loss and damage addressed in some way, shape, or form, it doesn't take the pressure off the um, you know source of the issue, which is the fact that global average temperature rising is 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 um you know skyrocketing uh small island developing states are, are feeling uh the impact at a rate that you know outpaces development um gains and you know we're spending all of our time trying to hold on to you know what we have achieved rather than then move towards the uh, you know the 2030 uh, sustainable development goals um, and i think that that's come to light it's clear to a lot of developed countries that um the the tipping points are nearing uh, it's it's not just small island developing states it's it's you know we're seeing impacts in the us we're seeing um you know the pakistan floods the the the, the news cycle is dominated by um basically the the disruption that we've caused can you remind us about that disruption and what that means for small pacific island uh, nations so, um, you know, in, in Fiji, we're at the point where we've actually had to pass legislation to define how we will be um, relocating communities. Uh, you know, Fiji's Climate Change Act passed last year uh, essentially is a, a blueprint of a range of things that are now required under legislation from climate risk disclosures to uh, the uh, governance arrangements for deciding how and when to um, relocate communities. We've developed standard operating procedures for how uh, communities need to be moved, as well as financial guidelines for how money from the relocation trust fund that was established in 2018 will be used. So um, irrespective of what's happening at the international level, these these issues are um, prominent and daily for, for, um, for us in Fiji and across the Pacific. When it comes to adaptation and perhaps population displacement across borders, how do we ensure this isn't going to be chaotic and conflict-ridden? Well, I think that's the um, that's one of the impetus for uh, financing loss and damage. I think in one of the AOSIS um, statements that was made um, in the past week, um, it, you know, it was about um, we, we need financing dealing with the impacts that we can no longer avoid and irrecoverable losses because um, you know cross-border migration, um, disruption, that's that's the only other next step. So um, it's in everyone's interest to put fun into um, um, a, a mechanism for loss and damage because things like migration, spillover effects of, of climate disruption, disruption to supply chains, um, you know, the, the impacts on geopolitics, all those things will also, um, you know, come out of a um, climate regime that doesn't address uh, what happens when its um, you know its its solutions are outpaced by the problems? Should this financing be in the form of grants or, or loans? Well, for for loss and damage financing, I mean, there's you know there's no question that this needs to be um, in the form of grants. Um, you know, the sources are you know a question as well. Uh, you know, part of part of the problem is is debt burden. If you see countries that are hit by disaster, they load debt. 
And debt often, you know, masks the scale of loss and damage that's been experienced. So this is also about looking at the, the wider financial system, the Bretton Woods system that was established after World War II, which simply isn't fit for purpose for the world we live in today. And, uh, you know, what we really need to be thinking about is, is how we create sustainable flow of finance to those that are really going to be feeling these impacts, irrespective of what happens to um, emissions reduction over the next few years, because a lot of this loss and damage is baked into the scenario we face. Uh, so, you know, whether that's looking at, uh, you know, innovative ways of, of raising finance through uh, the private sector, um, the main thing is mechanism where these, these, this finance can flow. Um, you know, but the the warning is clear. I mean, I think the UN Secretary General said um, that we're on the you know the highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. So that's you know that's the kind of language we're hearing here. What compromises did you have to make to get these issues onto the agenda? Well, I think we've been making compromises for for a couple of decades now. I mean, we've we've compromised pretty much everything. We've we've we put trust in a multilateral system um, around you know a temperature goal and and financing that needs to be mobilized, and uh, that certainly hasn't you know come about. There's been a latency of ambition that is now really hitting the uh, poorest, the hardest. Um, so our compromises are sort of you know part of everyday life. And is there a risk that aid can buy influence here? Is there a chance that this will happen? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's the risk that aid can buy influence in, in, you know, open terms. But if we use mechanisms like the UNFCCC to organize, um, you know, political will, ambition, financing in a way that is um, systematic, and part of the multilateral system, then we have an opportunity to do this in the, in the right way. If 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 uh, loss and damage financing is is not part of the kind of the, the three pillars of how we address climate um, financing, uh, then there is that risk that countries will, will will become you know debt burdened and exposed to to geopolitics. But I mean, uh, you know that that isn't the question that we're addressing here. It's 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 more about how. Uh, the UNFCCC um, matures its its financial um, capabilities and mandate to really address the issue that it's been purposed to address. And lastly, what does success from these talks look like? Well, at this stage, it's um, you know it is really about moving from that agenda point to to a a work program where we can really define um, the the steps that will that will move forward across the next couple of COPs up to 2024 um, to to really establish a fund. And we need financing and a decision around a, um, a mechanism for financing specific to loss and damage and, and additional uh, to, to the other financing that is required for adaptation and mitigation. And uh, any sort of that will be, um, you know, a real blow to what has already been, you know, quite a difficult um, um, uh uh, context in which these, these talks are happening. Which yeah. countries are stopping progress and watering down the language? Um, yeah, well, I mean, that, that question kind of is, is difficult to answer because there are so many different um, layers and, and negotiation rooms where these, these, uh, these, these issues are being discussed. And um, to, to pinpoint particular countries doesn't, isn't necessarily um, the, the, the uh, the most strategic thing for a negotiator. And later in the programme, we hear from another Pacific delegate who's taking their own experience of rising seas and increasing storms into the negotiations.